Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone who has a visual impairment and is unable to read a newspaper. We have the permission of the Worcester News and we're recording on Thursday the 10th of June 2021. I'm Elizabeth Hill and this week's team comprises engineer John Plush. Learning the ropes, we welcome Alex Gwynn. And at the table with me is Janet Goodwin. And it's lovely to see you, Janet, and welcome you back after um, this long break that we've uh, all had to endure. Uh, Clerical work has been done by Carol Hartle and her team. And uh, copying will also be done by Carol. Um, The thought for the week is from Keir Aldis, for which we thank her. Music is by Sheila Joins. So may I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners. We hope you enjoy our offering. We will have the emergency telephone numbers. Um, What's on in the Malvern theatres, because we do have a brochure for them. uh, We'll open the birthday book and do tell us yours if we uh, don't already have it. And we'll have the last week's headline stories, sunrise and sunset times, followed by stories of interest from the past week. Obituaries and the thought for the day will be after the final music. The service is quite free to listeners. It is a registered charity. If, however, anyone does wish to make a donation, it will be very welcome and can be popped into your yellow wallet. And we do thank very warmly those of you who have made donations recently. We do love to hear from you. If you have any suggestions for improvement, add a message in your wallet or a message on the answer phone 01905 767766. I'm now going to um, give you the um, useful telephone numbers. So I've just given you ours here at Wilds Lane. Please be aware we are not here every day. So speak to the answer phone and leave a message and we will get back to you. Uh, For Worcester Live Theatres, that's the Swan Theatre and Huntington Hall, for which we don't have a brochure at the moment, but if you... But I think they are beginning to uh, wake up, as it were. So if, if you want to see what's on locally in Worcester, it's 01905 611 For the Malvern Theatres, it's 01684 The police non-emergency number is 101. Crime Stoppers to report any crime anonymously is 0800 555 one. The Worcester Hub is 01905 765 765. And the Norbury Theatre, I'm not quite sure whether anything is happening there at the moment, but their number is uh, 01905 154. For NHS Direct, it's a treble one. 
and out of hours medical assistance between 6 and 8 in the evening is 0300 123 321 1. Okay. Uh, so, um, oh yes, the County Council here to help uh, number is 01905 and you need option three. And the community risk team for fire safety is 0800 uh, 032 And I've given you all of the other numbers, so that's that's good. Um, so I'm going to ask uh, Janet if she'll open the birthday book, please. And um, right. we have a couple of birthdays. Thank you. We've got two birthdays this week. On the 14th, it's Moira Lowe. So happy birthday to her. And on the 15th, to Elizabeth Bio. Happy birthday to her. Um, I'm going to open the what's on uh, because Molfen, as I say, we do have a brochure issued. Um this next week, June the 15th to Saturday the 19th, is um, Tell Me on a Sunday, which is an Andrew Lloyd Webber and Don Black West End and Broadway hit. Um, and on the 29th of June to the 3rd of July is Absurd Person Singular by Alan Ackbourne. Um, so that. That also is on at Malvern. And this looks um, like a children's thing. The Snail and the Whale. Captivating, inventive storytelling. It's on at uh, four, sorry, 55 minutes. There's no interval. Um, and it's on between the 27th and the 29th of June. Looking ahead, um, Bach St Matthew Passion is actually on Thursday the 1st of July. Um, there's Ian Bostridge is a tenor and Sir Willard White is the bass. Um, so it's the Armonico Consort. So that's the 1st of July. So we'll we'll leave that at up to July. Um I'm just going to give you a couple of reminders. Uh, we do have an extensive library of talking books. Some are on cassette tapes. Many are on CDs. If you would like to avail yourself of that free service, uh, put a little note in your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone. Um, vaccinations. Remember, you will receive a message or a letter about vaccinations and you do not have to pay. Um, so be aware of scams. Also, any cold callers, don't accept offers of work where people just knock on your doorstep. It might be unnecessary and, in fact, cost you a great deal of money. And the same with phone calls. Don't give any details of bank accounts. Don't dial another number on request. And for BT, if it's a nuisance number, if you dial 1572 and follow those directions, it removes that particular number from um, them being able to call you again. OK, so the headline stories this week. I broke my back at pool. Not good English is this one. Where's our tarantulas? Two hurt in knife attack. £20 million to give City Facelift. 
City Still Safe, Insist Police and Transformed. The sunrise is currently 4.47am until 9.28pm. And I'm going to hand over to Janet now for the first headline story. Thank you. A woman who broke her back after falling on a slippy floor at a city swimming pool has criticised this council for taking years to fix the problem. Colette James, 55, from Barbon, broke several bones in her back when she fell while walking to the changing rooms after swimming at Purdiswell Leisure Centre in 2017. She has hit out at Worcester City Council for failing to repair the floor tiles. The council has come under criticism over the condition of the tiles and councillors meet on Tuesday to discuss closing the pool for several weeks to replace the hazardous floor. Miss James said, I got out of the pool and was just about to go and have a shower in the changing rooms and I just went down. It really took my breath away. I couldn't get up. I knew I had done something. I couldn't stand and I couldn't get dressed properly. It really did hurt. It felt like I'd been run over. Miss James said she was put off swimming after the fall and spent a lengthy time off work. I was off walk work for four months, she said. It's still not right and I still have problems. It's put me off swimming, to be honest. The state of the floor around the swimming pool and leisure centre changing rooms have been an issue for years, according to many Worcester readers, who have had several falls and slips leading to injuries. Worcester City Council has been left with no option, they say, than to close the pool for several weeks to allow for the tiles, which are said to be of questionable quality, to be replaced. A council spokesman said many of the issues raised by Worcester newsreaders are the same as those that have led us to propose to take action over this matter. It would not have been possible for work to be carried out during the lockdowns because of the COVID safety rules. This matter will be thoroughly debated by the Policy and Resources Committee on Tuesday when councillors will be asked to approve the replacement of the floor tiles. Replacing the surface around the swimming pool and changing rooms is expected to cost more than £180,000 with a claim for loss of income during the closure expected to rise to as much as £120,000. The work is expected to take around three months between October and December, with the pool closed for at least two to three weeks. Last year, several tests were carried out on the leisure centre floor with anti-slip coating applied to some parts of the poolside. The council said 57 near misses were recorded by staff in October, but there were no major safety concerns. The council said the floor was in still a poor state by the time the leisure centre reopened after the third lockdown in April, despite only being open for a month in December, which has forced Freedom Leisure to use anti-slip mats in the changing rooms and poolside. Testing and repairing the surface has so far cost the council more than 32,000, including two deep cleans and resurfacing which costs more than £20,000. Spider lovers are demanding to know where their new pets are, having paid a dealer in Worcester to provide them with tarantulas. Eight people have formed a Facebook group after claiming to have paid hundreds of pounds for the tarantulas. 
They had agreed to purchase the spiders from a Worcester man using the name Ryan Smith, having befriended him on a Facebook page for Spider Fanatics last month. He had suggested he had a number of spiders looking for a new home, but unhappy customers found they could not trace who they were dealing with. Having transferred money into a personal bank account, the spiders never arrived. The money was paid into an account in the name of Melanie Atkinson, who Ryan Smith claimed was his wife. He claimed he preferred a direct bank transfer because he, quotes, did not trust PayPal. When one customer questioned where their spiders were, Ryan Smith suggested they collect them from an address in Avon Road, Ronxwood. But the buyer lived too far away to take him up on the offer. Jacqueline Stone from Bournemouth said the spiders were worth £200 each, but he was selling them at a discounted price. He told me I'd get it delivered the following Wednesday, but it looks like he told everyone the same story. Mrs Stone, 47, said, I should have known better when things started getting delayed, but I was really excited as it was a birthday present. She feels she may have been conned and she has reported her concerns for the police to investigate. I feel stupid, she said, but I just want my money back. Some customers have reported being told the delay had been due to the tarantulas shedding their skin and they would have to wait a few weeks before being rehomed, while others were told by Mr Smith he did not have enough money to post the spiders out. Mrs Stone said, My son's account was compromised because of all of this. When we told the bank what had happened, they just laughed at us. He had sent me the pictures of the skin, which we later realised he'd just taken off Google. Another disappointed customer, Graham Allen from South Shields, said the advertised price was fantastic. He said, I saw a post that said the profile was great to purchase the spiders from. But when he said he didn't have a bank account, something didn't feel right. Mr Allen realised he had lost his money on May the 13th and Ryan Smith ignored his messages after May the 16th when the delivery was due to arrive. A number of customers have formed a Facebook group. Mrs Stone said, I was randomly added to this group full of wonderful strangers. One user sent me a spider for free when he saw how upset I was. We're all banding together to help get everyone's money back and to get some justice. Mr Allen said his attempts to contact the person he believes is Ryan Smith have gone unanswered. A spokesperson spokesperson for Action Fraud said a complaint is being assessed by the City of London Police's National Fraud Intelligence Bureau. Facebook say in their rules they do not allow listings that promote the buying or selling of animals. The Worcester News attempted to contact both Melanie Atkinson and a man they believe to be behind Ryan Smith's account on Facebook, but have received no response. Two hurt in knife attack is the heading here. Two teenagers are in hospital 
after being slashed in the face with knives. Police said the two victims, both aged 18, received facial wounds from knife cuts, describing them as potentially life-changing injuries. Two 16-year-olds were arrested after the incident in Key Street, Worcester, on Friday night. One was later charged with two counts of grievous bodily harm with intent, possession of an offensive weapon and possession of cannabis. Police have not given an update on the other 16-year-old. A West Mercia police statement said officers attended after a call from a member of the public at 9.13pm. The statement said, We believe this to be an isolated incident and are not looking for anyone else involved at this time. Jason John, who was in the vicinity of the incident when it happened on Friday night, said he saw police with guns in the area. He said, I was cycling around the river and was over the other side at the time it happened. I had just been round that side. There were 20 police cars. It was all taped off. He added that a book entitled How Kindness is Good for You by David Hamilton was left at the scene. The police cordon around the incident, which took place near the water jets and browns at the quay, had been lifted on Saturday. All that was left to show there had been an incident was a former piece of the police tape on the grass nearby as families enjoyed the area in the sun. Police have asked anyone with information regarding the incident, including anyone who has video footage, to call 101 using reference 7511. A multi-million pound regeneration scheme, which will transform parts of the city, has been given the green light by the government. Worcester will be awarded almost £20 million to regenerate several parts of the city, including the Shrub Hill area, a new medical centre on the banks of the River Severn, hundreds of new homes and a building block training centre in Dines Green. The plans, backed by the Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government, include redeveloping the first bus depot site in Padmore Street, near Worcester Shrub Hill Railway Station, into 350 new homes and 2,000 square metres of commercial space. The ageing Isaac Maddox House in Shrub Hill Road would see a new enterprise centre and up to 100 homes with a new walking and cycle route between Shrub Hill Station, the planned regeneration area and the city centre. Worcester MP Robin Walker said, This is great news. Following the success of our bids for the Future High Streets Fund and the Cultural Recovery Fund, this investment is a massive vote of confidence in the city of Worcester. The regeneration of Shrub Hill is at the heart of this bid and I am particularly pleased to see further opportunities for investment, jobs and economic growth around the city. He continued, I am particularly pleased that the town's deal should support cycling and active travel, priorities which I have consistently supported. The group that led on the developing the town improvement plan worked on a cross-party, cross-community group basis and their collective experience 
has enabled a proposal that could be regionally significant. The commitment of almost £20 million reflects the fact that this government believes in our towns and cities and is willing to put its money where its mouth is when it comes to levelling up. This should provide a strong boost for the economic recovery in Worcester and for future bids to the levelling up fund for which we have been designated a priority one area. The funding will help to pay for several other projects. The former Worcester News building in Hilton Road will be converted into a facility to house nursing, physiotherapy and medical training, including an anatomy lab for between 50 and 100 students. The site will also include a GP practice, as well as on-site therapy and rehabilitation clinics. The building block centre in Downs Green would build on the success of the existing facility in Warnden, which hosts workshops developing DIY and building skills, including bricklaying, plumbing, plastering, tiling and woodwork. Worcester City Council leader Councillor Mark Bayliss said, I am delighted that the government has decided to award the city almost £20 million more to back our ambitious regeneration plans. This money is on top of the £18 million we were awarded last year from the Future High Street Fund. And together these funds provide us with a -a once-in-a-generation opportunity to create an even better city fit for the 21st century and which which helps all our communities to fulfil their potential. Working together with a range of partners, Worcester has demonstrated again its ability to make a compelling case for investment. A senior police officer says Worcester is still a safe place to live and work after two teenagers were slashed with a knife. Temporary Inspector Peter Nightingale has reassured the public such assaults are extremely rare. But he reminded shop staff of their obligations when it comes to the sale of knives in a bid to keep the streets of Worcester as safe as possible. Temporary Inspector Nightingale made his comments after two teenagers were injured in an alleged attack in Keys Street on Friday and his remarks follow a high-profile amnesty to get as many blades as possible off our streets and attempts by police in Worcester to educate young people about the dangers of knives. A 16-year-old boy appeared at Kidderminster Magistrates Court on Monday to face two charges of Section 18, wounding with intent, possession of an offensive weapon and possession of cannabis. He was remanded in custody and is scheduled to appear at Crown Court on July the 5th. No further action will be taken against a second teenager. Two 18-year-olds received facial wounds from knife cuts in the incident at around 9pm on Friday. They have been in hospital receiving treatment on what police describe as potentially life-changing injuries. The West Mercia police officer said we are dedicated to tackling violent crime and specifically incidents involving knives. Please be reassured by the prompt police response and positive action taken in the most recent incident in Worcester. A male has been charged and will appear in court. He continued, 
We understand the community's concerns, but West Mercia remains a safe place to work and live, and incidents of this nature are extremely rare. We are working closely with partners and involving local education establishments to educate and reassure the community. I would like to remind retail outlets of their legal obligations around the sale of knives and police will take enforcement action when appropriate. We will continue to target any hotspots with high visibility patrols. Concerns about knife crime remain in the public eye, including the risks officers themselves face in the line of duty. DC Jason Atkins, rugby tackle drug dealer Omari Edwards, who was armed with a knife in Worcester in March. The act of courage earned DC Atkins the praise of the Worcester judge who jailed Edwards. The 24-year-old defendant had £11,770 of Class A drugs, crack cocaine and heroin in his possession and a lock knife. He was jailed for four years and nine months last month at Worcester Crown Court for possession with intent to supply, possession of the knife, possession of cannabis, resisting an officer in the execution of their duties and possession of criminal property. Temporary Inspector Nightingale said he would welcome any information or intelligence from the public in relation to anyone who habitually carries knives. He added, that information will be treated with the strictest of confidence. Crime stoppers can be contacted anonymously on 0800 555 Where information allows, we will actively target individuals believed to carry weapons using police powers effectively and appropriately to protect the public from harm. Police have urged people not to share video footage of the alleged knife attack, which has been circulating on social media, because it may prejudice any forthcoming trial. A video video has emerged which appears to show the aftermath of the attack in Key Street. Temporary Inspector Nightingale said, please do not share any footage of violent incidents on social media as this may prejudice any future legal proceedings. Operation Scepter saw more than 370 knives and bladed weapons surrendered throughout the week. Four more found in weapons sweeps, which are searches conducted in areas known for weapons being deposited. In South Worcestershire, which includes Worcester, Morven and Evesham, 91 knives were handed in. Officers across the force also carried out a number of other proactive activities in an effort to tackle knife crime, which included 35 visits to school and colleges to educate young people in the dangers of carrying a knife. And the final headline story uh, really follows on from the last one I read about the multi-million pound regeneration scheme which could transform the rundown corners of Worcester city centre. There is an artist's impression which shows how Angel Place could look as part of an incredible transformation. Worcester's historic Scala Theatre will be converted into a new arts venue and the former co-op building in Angel Street will undergo a major transformation into a food hall and rooftop garden. 
Worcester City Councillors agreed to move ahead with the purchase of the Grade 2 listed Scala Theatre in Angel Place at a meeting on Tuesday. City Council leader Mark Bayliss said buying the Scala was an important step forward in in transforming the area around Angel Place. This is really exciting, he told the Policy and Resources Committee. In terms of moving this project forward, the acquisition of the Scala really makes it possible to see the regeneration of that part of the city and, together with the public realm works, it really gives us a fantastic opportunity to improve an area of the city centre which is far from its best at the moment. I think these moves might be incremental, but they are important for us to do. It's an important step forward. The move to buy the Scala Theatre comes after the council was successful with a bid of almost £18 million to the government's future High Streets Fund for several projects, including transforming the almost 100-year-old former cinema into an arts, theatre and music venue. The building is currently home to Shipley's Amusement Centre, which will move to a new location in the city once the deal is finalised. The cost of buying the Scala was discussed in private by councillors, but Shane Flynn, the council's director for finance, said the cost was within the budget, including contingencies, and in line with the cost of using compulsory purchase powers, which the council had said it would use if necessary. The council has already bought the neighbouring Grade 2 listed Corn Exchange building in Crown Passage, which, along with the Scala Theatre, will be converted into a 450 to 500 seat venue. The successful bid for government funding means the area around Angel Street and Angel Place, the Foregate, the Cross and Trinity Street would be completely regenerated to create an urban neighbourhood focusing on new shops, cafes, restaurants and bars, a new performance and arts venue and other cultural facilities, some family-friendly attractions, as well as housing and office space, transforming it into a destination for young people and families. The work will cost around £29 million, with the City Council and other local partners putting forward £11 million alongside the government money. And that finishes the headline stories and we're going to go on with the general news that has been published during the last week and I'll hand over to Janet. Thank you. City musicians enjoyed their first event after a year as they enjoyed the sun with locals. The Worcester Ukulele Club played its first gig since March 2020 at the Barclay Arms in St John's as part of an event to raise money for St Richard's Hospice. Beverly Walton, who runs the pub with her son Ashley, said thank you, Worcester Ukulele Club, for supporting our St Richard's charity fundraising event. Everyone enjoyed the afternoon. There was a fantastic atmosphere and glorious weather. Mrs Walton retired from nursing last year after 38 years with Worcestershire Health and Care Trust to take on the new challenge. She said St Richard's were always there offering support and guidance to patients, relatives and fellow colleagues. They are amazing. 
Fourteen club members came together to play in the socially distanced event. Committee member Trevor Taylor said it was a great afternoon and hopefully a nice sum of money will have been collected for the pub's charity. The club took to social media to express their delight at playing together again. Posting on Facebook, they said, we had a sizeable and receptive audience who were obviously enjoying sitting out in the glorious sunshine. I will admit to having been a little bit nervous about this first gig, with little or no recent practice, but thanks in no small part to John's great leadership and his virtuoso performance on the bass. It was as if we'd never been away. We were tightened together, musically, with only one minor hiccup when some of us took the wrong turning on the road to Amarillo. A great afternoon. We left them wanting more, and hopefully a nice sum of money will have been collected for the pub's charity, St Richard's Hospice. Thanks to everyone. So a little little piece about uh, vaccines. More than half of the county's adults have received two doses of a COVID vaccine, according to the latest figures. NHS England said 243,704 people in Worcestershire had received two vaccines, which is roughly 52% of the adult population up to May 30th. Of the people in Worcestershire who have received two jabs, 12,422 people were aged under 30. Moving up the age groups, 16,053 people were in their 30s, and 25,415 in their 40s. A total of 55,759 people in Worcestershire in their 50s have also received two doses, while that figure rises to 65,789 people in their 60s. For people in their 70s, figures show 63,163 people have had both jabs, and in the aged 80 age group, 34,671 people have been fully vaccinated. And the number of people in the county who had received one jab by the end of last week stood at 385,047 people. The NHS figures revealed 94.9% of care home residents in Worcestershire have been vaccinated with both doses, with 97.3% of residents receiving just the first COVID jab. The same figures show 71.6% of staff in Worcestershire's care homes have received both jabs, with 86.4% of staff receiving just the first dose. So, for those of you who like numbers, plenty of numbers there for you. A popular fair is making a comeback this December as Worcester recovers from the pandemic. The Victorian Christmas Fair will be running from Thursday, December the 2nd to Sunday, December the 5th, as the event is being organised as One to Remember. Councillor Lucy Hodgson, chairman of the Place and Economic Committee, said the pandemic forced all of us to have a low-key Christmas last year, so I'm delighted to be able to announce the return of festive fun for 2021. After being cancelled last year, 
The traditional Victorian fair will be back with unique traders in place across the city centre, alongside music and street entertainers. She said with both the return of the Victorian fair and the city's first ever month-long festive market, I'm confident Worcester people will be able to celebrate Yuletide in proper style this year. The committee said the fair will help bring a welcome boost to local businesses after the impact of COVID. This year will be slightly different from past events as there will be a month-long Yule market in the city centre for locals to enjoy. The stalls will have 30 wooden chalets in place and will be dressed and lit to add to the festive atmosphere. The committee hopes to bring a touch of Bavaria to Worcester's own seasonal traditions. The plan has been approved by Worcester City Council's Place and Economic Development Committee. The Victorian Fair began back in 1992 by traders from picturesque New Street and Friar Street. Now in its 28th year, the fair may have grown a lot, but it has stayed true to its traditional roots with plenty of Victorian-themed characters and festive treats. This year, there will be almost 200 stalls across the city centre selling local arts and crafts, delicious street food and gifts. From a trek through the night to a water assault course, staff at the University of Worcester are pushing themselves to the limit in a gruelling 24-hour challenge to raise money for cure leukaemia. Teams are tackling a series of activities for the university's latest charity challenge, including an 18-mile walk from the Malvern Hills to Broom Hall, followed by a 16-mile canoe from the Seven Motor Yacht Club at Broom Hall to Tewkesbury Marina, a 19-mile cross-country run, basketball match and a water assault course. The challenges got underway at 7pm and were running over 24 hours, finishing at the university's lakeside campus at Holt Heath. It aimed to raise more than £10,000 for the university's Charity of the Year, blood cancer charity Cure Leukaemia. Nine teams took part from various departments, alongside another from Worcester Students' Union and two from external organisations – Travis Perkins and a mixed team which included members of Worcestershire County Council. Each team's competitors had to complete at least three of the events with the amount teams raised factored in. Organiser Tom Taylor, the university's Assistant Director of Estates, Security and Operations, said, Every time we put on the charity challenge, We try to create something different that will push staff and this year is certainly no exception. Though we have swapped some of the events from the last challenge, in other areas the difficulty has increased and it will be a test of both physical and mental strength, particularly due to the fact it is all being done in a 24-hour period. We hope the scale of what competitors are facing will inspire people to give what they can and if people spot our brave participants either on the river or while out walking around Worcestershire, be sure to cheer them on. The University's Vice-Chancellor and Chief Executive, Professor David Green, said 
This year, the university's charity challenge again supports a charity which has made a real difference to a student. A Worcestershire teacher has hand-delivered meal vouchers and laptops to pupils during lockdown and has received an award from the Prime Minister. Assistant Head Teacher of Nunnery Wood High School, Andrew Raystrick has been awarded a UK Points of Light Award for his work with local supermarkets to create meal parcels for hundreds of families and for delivering more than 400 donated laptops to his pupils during lockdowns over the past year. In a personal letter to him, Prime Minister Boris Johnson said, I was delighted to learn from your MP Robin Walker how much you have done to support your pupils and their families. Mr Raystrick from Worcester said, I'm absolutely delighted to be the recipient of the Points of Light Award. I'm very humbled to receive this honour and I want to share this recognition with every member of staff working in schools across the country who have worked so hard during the pandemic to make sure our students can access high quality education and who have supported families who may be struggling at this difficult time. Plans for a huge expansion of a business park in Worcester have moved one step closer after they were submitted by developers. Stoford is planning to expand the Worcester 6 business park and has submitted its plans to Worcestershire County Council following a public consultation. The developer has invested £75 million into the site and wants to put in place its original plans to extend the business park to the south, adjacent to Newtown Road, which will provide up to a further 680,000 square feet of floor space on just over 60 acres of land. The land has always been earmarked for the business park and was included in the South Worcestershire Development Plan back in 2016. Also included in the plan is a massive green space expansion which will see Stoford putting aside 40%, approximately 8 hectares, for natural habitats and landscaping. Other plans include retention of woodland, wet and rough grassland areas and hedgerows. Approximately 500 metres of poor quality hedgerow will be removed and replaced, with 3,000 metres of new native hedgerows to boost wildlife species. It will also plant more than 250 trees, 3 hectares of new woodland and shrub planting and 5,000 square metres of wildflower seeding and native bulb planting. Gerard Ludlow, director at Stoford, said... Worcester 6 has quickly established itself as a game-changer development and having attracted a number of businesses to Worcester 6 over the past three years, we are now in a strong position to develop the southern extension. Stowford held a public consultation on the proposed extension in March, which included community engagement, online webinars and meetings. A website and social media campaign also reached more than 14,000 Facebook and LinkedIn users, while mail shots were sent to 800 local homes and there were more than uh, 330 website views during the two-week consultation period.
the Worcester 6 site near Junction 6 of the M5 is already home to a number of major companies, including Cola Mira, Spire Healthcare, Cornelius, Kymel and Materials Solution, which has one of Europe's largest 3D printing facilities. Work has also started on the county's largest data centre for IONOS. When the IONOS site is completed, it will take up a total of 51,479 square feet, comprising of the 38,501 square feet IONOS site plus 12,975 square feet for offices. For more information, you can go to Worcester 6, that's Worcester with a number 6, dot co.uk forward slash overview forward slash. An organisation which aims to support businesses in Worcester said shop owners in Reindeer Court need support more than ever after the shopping arcade was beset by closures. Reindeer Court has many disputes used units marked for sale or to let in the city centre. Worcester Bid Projects and Marketing Manager Sam McCarthy said, We have always worked closely with the tenants of Reindeer Court, supporting and guiding at tenants' meetings of ways they could animate the court, organise events and drive footfall. The businesses have always played an active role in ensuring Reindeer Court is put on the map. Following the recent loss of several businesses, this has really left a big gap. Not just the loss of the businesses, but business leaders who all corroborated to support raising awareness. Businesses occupying the court need support more than ever to be able to recover via landlord support for marketing and presentation, as well as locals choosing to spend their hard-earned money with a local business who cares about their investment. She continued, Reindeer Court is such a unique area of the city in its look and feel as well as its location. It is a true city gem due to Reindeer Court being one of the only areas in the city which is traffic-free and would be ideal for starting up businesses and the hospitality sector due to it being protected from the gulls, making it a perfect location for outdoor dining. Paula Farrington, owner of the lingerie shop Embrace, which has been in Reindeer Court for eight years, said a mix of underinvestment, COVID-related problems and a lack of direct contact with the owners of the arcade had created the issues. Reindeer Court, accessed via the Shambles, Melchipen Street and New Street, is managed by Worcester-based property managers Fisher German. We were referred to the relevant people responsible for Reindeer Court, but they were not available as we went to press. One of Worcester's most popular riverside stop-offs will reopen on June the 21st under a new general manager. Deborah Jones has been at the Diglis House Hotel for several weeks, preparing to open again after months of Covid restrictions. Like the King Charles II pub in the city, the hotel opted against opening for outdoor service only in April and under the limitations for indoor service set out by the government in May. The new manager said, During that time, the business, like many others, took the opportunity to re-evaluate. 
we opened up last summer, but found reopening partly was not beneficial for us as a business. We felt we would need to reopen fully. There was also the possibility hanging over us of the government changing restrictions at any time. So it was a business decision not to reopen on May 17th and to wait until June 21st. She continued, We will open on June 21st with or without restrictions. We will follow all the guidelines, but we will not remain closed any longer. Hospitality is all about looking after people and offering good quality service. That's what we're good at and that's what we want to get back to. We took the decision not to open in May, but everyone has geared towards this date now and we are going to go for it come what may. Asked whether there had been any regrets over not reopening in May on the back of good weather making the riverside busy during the past few weeks, Mrs Jones replied, The Diglis thrives on good weather. It is an attraction for the people of Worcester and further afield. And we love to see the garden and business thriving. At the time, it was the right decision for the hotel, but it will be onwards and upwards from June 21st. As well as offering a picturesque place for food and drinks for locals, the Diglis has 28 rooms built in the grounds overlooking the River Severn or the hotel's grounds with Mrs Jones looking forward to business as usual once more. I'm extremely excited, she said. The Diglis is such a well-known and beautiful hotel and I cannot wait to get started. Open up and continue to provide good food and good service in wonderful surroundings for all our customers. City residents who want to have their say on the location of a major new secondary school in Worcester only have a week left to give their views. Worcestershire County Council is carrying out a public consultation into plans to build a new school to cope with the demand caused by the planned South Worcestershire Development Plan. The consultation ends on June the 11th, so residents only have five more days to have their say. It is not currently known where the new school will be as the council is using the responses to the consultation to decide on potential locations. Councillor Marcus Hart, Cabinet Member with Responsibility for Education and Skills, said, We've had a fantastic response so far from our residents on this consultation, looking ahead to this exciting project. We really want to hear the views of parents, guardians, carers and children and young people about what is important to you as planning for the future build continues. The location of the site of any new school will consider several factors, including reducing pressure from oversubscribed schools and helping parents to fulfil their preference in choice of a secondary school for their children. In February this year, Cabinet approved the creation of a new 600-place secondary school in Worcester to meet the increased demand for school places in the city over recent years. Worcestershire County Council's Cabinet backed the plans at a meeting on Thursday, February the 4th. Six locations have been proposed for the new 600 pupils school by Worcestershire County Council with an estimated cost of around £35 million, but the whereabouts of the new school are currently a secret.
According to the council, the need for a new school in Worcester responds to the growth of housing developments around the city and improves choice and access for families. The school will be delivered by Worcestershire County Council and will then be run by an academy sponsor. The process to appoint the academy sponsor will run in the autumn term of 2021 and will follow the Department of Education free school presumption process. Responses can be submitted online at www.worcestershiregoc.com UK forward slash new secondary school by June the 11th. For a paper copy of the questionnaire, email SPP at wuschildrenfirst.org.uk. Mothers in Worcestershire who gave birth within the last year are said to have faced a raw deal by an NHS backed group. The Maternity Voices Partnership has highlighted that new mums in the city failed to receive proper support in the last 12 months, as government restrictions meant birthing journeys were drastically different. Shirley Jones, chair of the Worcestershire Group, said, I don't believe it's anybody's fault, but the pandemic took away a lot of support that new mothers rely on. When it first hit, those mums went through the worst times. Partners were not allowed for scans, triage or appointments. Mums had to listen to bad news alone and then had to call their partners in from the cars. To be called in knowing there was bad news must have been a horrendous time for that family. NHS aftercare also took a hit, Mrs Jones said. Staffing at the NHS became stretched. There were less people to get around more women who didn't have any other kind of support with them. Health visits weren't allowed and midwives weren't able to do house calls as many of them were used as nurses at Covid centres, meaning they weren't available. There was a long time mothers went without any emotional and physical support from others. The group act as a voice for families and fight for what women want and need during and after pregnancies. She said before the pandemic it would be normal to have friends and family around. A mum could have support all the way through her journey from the people she chose. But afterwards the father only was allowed in when labour was established and would have to go home after an hour with no other facilities for visiting. The MVP campaigned for video calls to be allowed during appointments. She said, we kept raising the issue which was eventually sorted. You can't turn the tide and get those things back later on. She added, I'm not here to be friends. I'm here to be a voice for the women. This is an article from A Memory Lane by Michael Grundy and it's dated the 4th of February 1966. We look today at one of Worcester's famous firms of the past which literally left its mark on the nation and the world. Hardy and Padmore had their major pioneering foundry in the blockhouse making their name internationally with their ornate and high-grade cast-iron lamp standards. These Victorian and Edwardian features still grace many a street and river embankment in Britain and overseas. 
The picturesque dolphin lamp pillars on London's embankment, often seen in films and on TV, were produced by Hardy and Padmore, as were the handsome Regency-style lamp columns on Worcester Bridge. Locally, other prime examples of the firm's quality work are Foregate Street GWR Railway Bridge, the Fountain, now in Cripplegate Park, Vintage Park and Riverside Seats with the City's Crest, the former Market Hall clock opposite the Guildhall. Traffic bollards such as those at the Hereford Canal Basin and Worcester's Tramway Standards, also now fast disappearing. Early this century, the firm supplied 500 large ornamental pillars to the St Marylebone Borough of London and dozens of special columns for the Strand. According to the Worcester Daily Times, Worcester at Work Supplement of 1903, Hardy and Padmore had already supplied lamp standards to many towns and cities including Liverpool, Sheffield, Glasgow, Newcastle, Cardiff, Cheltenham, Halifax and Preston. Ornamental pillars had also been exported abroad to Australia, South America and several British colonies. Less glamorous cast-iron features such as manhole covers, drain grills, public toilet fixtures, stoves, traffic-like control boxes, grates and cooking ranges were manufactured for customers around the nation and abroad. Hardy and Padmore were also pace-setters in the development of small gas and oil engines which were in great demand around Britain and were ordered by India, China, Australia, Italy, Spain, France, Holland and Portugal. I've taken this excursion into the prestigious past of Hardy and Padmore at the prompting of Mr Max Sinclair of Lower Broadheath. He wrote to me of his concern that the firm's history had almost been forgotten in Worcester when instead it deserved widespread recognition. The company was founded in 1814 when Robert and John Hardy migrated from across the Scottish border to set up business in Worcester. Fifteen years later, they were joined in partnership by Richard Padmore, who was arrived from Shropshire. A Barrow's journal cutting from the middle of the last century offers this glowing description of the firm. In the foremost rank of the pioneers of civilization, civilization, we may mention Messrs Hardy and Padmore, who have, through a long and industrious career, raised their establishment to an importance which is shown by the distribution of the various articles of production over most parts of the habitable globe. Mr Sinclair points out that his wife's grandfather, Joseph Southall, was managing director of the firm for some years and invented an early hot-air engine. Two examples are still on display in London's Science Museum and also a tiny candle power motor to drive watchmakers' lathes. These were to be forerunners of the bigger oil and gas engines. But alas, the glorious days for Hardy and Padmore began to fade after the Second World War and it eventually went into voluntary liquidation in 1967. Now for a couple of uh, sports items. Worcestershire head coach Alex Gidman 
admits his side did not cope with early pressure from Durham in their LV Insurance County Championship defeat last week. Worcestershire were bowled out for 131 and after the visitors posted 381 in response, Gidman said it was a mountain too tough to climb. He said, That first day was a bit of a shock, a bit of a blur. We obviously didn't apply ourselves as much as we needed to, and we were well behind the game early on. It was always going to be tough to have a chance of winning the game once you have a first hour, first session like we did. Credit to Durham, they bowled aggressively and put the ball in the right areas from ball one. They put us under pressure and we didn't quite have it in us to cope with that pressure early in the game. Despite the defeat, Gidman said that he was impressed at the way his side continued to try to salvage a result from the game. It has been a tough fixture and from lunchtime we started to show the sort of team we've been through much of this season so far. Sadly, it was too late in this one, but I'm really pleased with the way the guys tried to fight to stay in the game and make a good go of it. We were too short in the end, but can't complain about the cricket after lunchtime on Friday. Jake Libby continued his fine form this season with the bat and made another century, 126, in Worcestershire's second innings. On Saturday, the county started on 99 for three as Libby and Brett Dolivera went on to a 10-run partnership as they made a fist of giving Durham something to chase. They could only manage 336, a lead of 87, and Durham's openers Cameron Bancroft and Michael Jones made light work of that. We batted really well on the last day and Jake Libby was superb and had a great partnership with Brett Dolivera, said Gidman. I can't knock the way the guys tried to give us a chance to win the game towards the end, but with the margin as big as it was after the first innings, it was always going to be a tough ask. The defeat brings an end to any possibility of the pairs securing a top two finish in Group 1 of the LV Insurance County Championship, having lost two of their last three matches. They now break for over a month for the Vitality Blast Tournament and the Worcestershire Rapids, who began their campaign at New Road against Nottinghamshire Outlaws on um, Wednesday the 9th of June. Worcester Warriors final Gallagher Premiership match of the season against Gloucester Rugby at Six Ways on Saturday has been cancelled after Gloucester returned a further positive test for COVID-19, forcing a number of their squad to isolate. Although there will not be a match for the supporters to watch on Saturday, supporters will still have the chance to say farewell to the players who will be leaving the club as there will be an end-of-season party instead. While we are disappointed that the Gloucester match has been cancelled, we fully understand the reasons and we wish everyone at Kingsholm a full recovery, said Warriors Managing Director Peter Kelly. As this was a match where we would have been allowed a restricted attendance of 3,100, it is doubly disappointing, but we still want to reward our supporters for their loyalty over what has been an extremely challenging year. 
There was always going to be a party atmosphere for this match and the opportunity for the club and supporters to thank all those players who are leaving the club for their fantastic service and commitment. We still intend to give those players a proper send-off and we are working on putting on entertainment, food and drink for what will be an end-of-season party in a safe and socially distanced environment. Last week, Gloucester returned a number of positive COVID-19 tests and had a large number of their squad isolating, which led to the cancellation of their scheduled match at home to Bath Rugby. There has been additional positive results in their COVID-19 testing, which led to several new players going into isolation this week and the club writing to Premiership Rugby to confirm they are unable to field a match day 23 for this weekend. A Premiership Rugby panel will now be convened to determine the allocation of points, but as has been the case all season, the game will be declared nil-nil with four points given to Worcester and two to Gloucester. The result means Warriors finish the 2021 campaign with four wins, three of which from COVID cancellations, and bottom of the Gallagher Premiership table. All right, some other news. Plans to replace a slippery swimming pool floor have been backed by councillors. Slippy floors throughout parts of Purdiswell Leisure Centre are said to be of questionable quality and have been an issue since opening in 2017. Worcester City Council's Policy and Resources Committee approved plans to close the pool for several weeks to allow for the tiles to be replaced. Replacing the surface around the swimming pool and changing rooms is expected to cost more than £180,000, with a claim for loss of income during the closure expected to rise to as much as 120000 The work is expected to take around three months between October and December, with the pool closed for at least two to three weeks. The City Council's Deputy Director of Governance, Sean Stroud, said the tiles passed safety tests when they were first installed and whilst the slippy floor was an ongoing issue, it was not a major safety concern. We procured tiles that met the industry standards and the health and safety executive standard, she told the Council's Policy and Resources Committee at a meeting in the Guildhall on Tuesday, June the 8th. In good faith, both the Council and its appointed contractors procured a tile that met the standards, but the experience has been that it is not a satisfactory standard. She added that the number of complaints about the floor had been more than is desirable, but not more than is possibly anomalous. We have not been receiving reports of concerns on a significant scale, and we have only had one serious injury reported, she said. We have an ongoing issue that our customers don't think is tolerable, as opposed to a red on the health and safety risk register. A popular former hairdresser who founded a salon which has been in business in Worcester for more than 60 years has died aged 90. John Wormley, who was born in Switzerland, opened his hairdressing business, John Continental Hairdressing, at 102 High Street in 1958. 
The hair salon has remained at the location ever since, although it was renamed Wicked Hair by his son, Hans Peter, who took over the business from his father. John passed away last month on Saturday, May the 29th. Paying tribute to his father, John's other son, Mark Wormley, took o- who took over John's quality hairdressing in Malvern, his father's other hair salon, said, My father and mother moved to Worcester because my grandmother, my mother's mum, lived here and my father wanted to open a salon but couldn't afford it in Switzerland. So my grandmother found one in Worcester. He was a very charismatic man. He had his Swiss side and his English side. If he had his Swiss side on, then you didn't really want to see him. But if he had his English side on, then you did. He had a lot of trainee hairdressers come through in Worcester, and there are a lot of hairdressers in the city who run their own salons now who would remember him. John opened the Worcester Salon in 1958, at the time known as John Continental Hairdressing, to reflect his Swiss heritage. At this time, the Salon presented a unique hairdressing experience with an open-plan layout, which was a far cry from the private cubicles used in salons at this time. John Continental Hairdressing showcased cutting techniques and styles direct from the continent, which he developed during his training in Switzerland. When he first opened the salon in Worcester, he was a one-man band, supported by his loyal and loving wife, Pat. Over the years, he employed hairdressers from Switzerland to continue the continental theme, as well as employing and training local talent. John went on to enjoy a long and happy retirement and enjoyed spending time with his five children, grandchildren and great-grandchildren. A takeaway has been displaying to customers it has a five-star food hygiene rating when it is actually rated one star by health inspectors. The rating is the next to lowest on Food Standards Agency's zero to five scale and means that major improvement is necessary. Yours Pizza Bite forward slash Little India in Ronkswood Hill was given the one star overall rating after the Food Standards Agency inspectors visited on May the 12th. Inspectors were particularly critical of the management of food safety, which covers whether the business has system or checks in place to ensure that food sold or served is safe to eat, evidence that staff know about food safety and the food safety officer has confidence that standards will be maintained in future. On that, inspectors found that major improvement was necessary. For hygienic food handling, which covers whether the business has hygienic handling of food, including preparation, cooking, reheating, cooling and storage, It was judged improvement was necessary. On the cleanliness and condition of facilities and building, which includes if the building has appropriate layout, ventilation, hand washing facilities and pest control to enable good food hygiene, it was also judged improvement was necessary. Despite it being four weeks since the inspection and the venue being notified, When a reporter visited the takeaway in recent days, it was still displaying an old five-star very good rating in a window of the front door. 
After the FSA carry out inspections, all food businesses are forced to display the correct information on their premises and online so that consumers can make informed choices about where to buy and eat food. The Worcester News approached Yours Pizza Bite forward slash Little India, but no one was available for comment. With the rating, the venue joins the list of one-star food hygiene rated city businesses, which includes Age UK, Worcester and District Lunch Club in Bilford Court, Fortune House in St John's, Grotzek in Lowesmore, and Watton Supermarket in Coal Hill. And Happy Taste, a Chinese takeaway in Orchard Street, recently received the rare zero-star rating. All information published is based on results on the FSA website as of June 9, 2021, and inspections are listed as the latest carried out. Helen Cameron, Food Safety Manager at Worcestershire Regulatory Services, said... The food hygiene ratings are about putting power into the hands of the public because they can see at a glance the standard of hygiene in restaurants, cafes, takeaways and food retailers. We encourage people to alert us to any issues they find on 01905 822 799 or a website which is food.gov.uk. A homeless flesher who performed sex acts in front of women and children has been banned from Worcester supermarket car parks and from getting naked in public. Simon Burnley carried out the acts at the multi-storey car park in Asda, near a city charity shop, outside a GP surgery and on a canal towpath. The 46-year-old, now of Northfield Street Arboretum, described himself as homeless at the time of the offences. Magistrates handed him a community order last month. Now a two-year criminal behaviour order has been granted, which bans him from removing and prohibits him from not wearing any base layer of clothing from the waist down whilst in public or where the public has access. The CBO, which gives police extra powers, also bans him from entering Asda Car Park, St Martin's Quarter, including any stairwells that lead to the car park, entering St Martin's Gate Car Park, entering any car park save when using one to park a car that he is driving or is a passenger in. He admitted 11 charges, three of outraging public decency, two of exposure and six of possession of drugs, cannabis and amphetamine, in March and April this year. At 10.30am on March the 28th this year at Asda in Silver Street, police were called to reports of a male exposing his genitals in the stairwell of the multi-storey car park. Melanie Winterflood, prosecuting the case at Magistrates Court last month, said the defendant was clearly in drink and had pornographic material strewn around him before she added there were women and children in the area. 
As does CCTV revealed similar behaviour on March the 20th, he performed a similar act at the back of the Spring Gardens Group Medical Practice in Worcester on March the 29th, near a charity shop in Melchipen Street in Worcester on April the 21st, and at other locations on April 22nd and April 24th. When officers found him with his trousers around his ankles, Burnley was heard to say, go on, then arrest me. He added, I was only trying to have some fun. Magistrates imposed a 12-month community order to include 25 rehabilitation activity requirement days. Because Burnley had already served a month in prison on remand and was unsuitable for unpaid work or a curfew, no punitive element was imposed. As a convicted sex offender, he must sign the register for the next five years. And now a piece from Sheena Payne-Lunn, who is doing a series of Worcester Life Stories in the Nostalgia series. This week, the Worcester Life Stories project team is preparing for the opening of a brand new exhibition at Worcester City Museum and Art Gallery, chronicling the history of the changing face of Worcester and its residents through photographs. From the 1950s, shop fronts and forgotten landmarks to communities that were migrated as the city developed, evocative images in the exhibition unlock memories of days gone by. The images were taken by staff of Worcester City Council, including health inspectors, archaeologists, conservation officers and planners to inform their day-to-day work capturing building use, living conditions and heritage. They tell of lost industries, of hardship and poverty, followed by regeneration and redevelopment, some of which still divides opinion today. Other images capture a more domestic view, especially those images taken by Chief Public Health Inspector Tom Marsden. As reported previously, it was Marsden's role to ensure that housing conformed to the 1957 Housing Act, which called for houses to be fit for human habitation, and led to around 3,500 properties in Worcester being condemned as unsanitary and unsafe. What followed was the mass demolition of many areas, including the tenement houses of the Blockhouse, Tybridge Street, the Moors and Dolday. This view of mass slums across the city should also be balanced with a comment from one local resident who rightly pointed out, while the houses of the Blockhouse are often written off as slums, the people who lived there were decent, hard-working people and kept their houses fastidiously clean and tidy. Visitors to the exhibition will be able to see original items from Worcester's social history collection and take part in an exclusive quiz trail. It would be fantastic to see everyone there. You're all invited and we look forward to more memories being shared, inspired by this fantastic collection. Worcester Life Stories is a collaborative project bringing local people together through shared stories of the city of Worcester. It is being co-led by Natasha Lord, Herefordshire and Worcestershire Health and Care NHS Trust and Sheena Payne-Lunn, 
Worcester City Council and funded thanks to National Lottery players. For further information or to share your stories, visit Worcester Life Stories, all one word, .org.uk, the Facebook page or Twitter at WOR Life Stories. And uh, stories can also be emailed to WorcesterLifeStories at gmail.com or telephoned in 01905 721133. Worcester is on course for a £21 million broadband network, meaning internet providers will begin delivering some of the fastest network packages available in the country. Independent platform provider City Fibre has broken ground on London Road for the full fibre rollout designed to bring the best connectivity to every home in Worcester. City Fibre's city manager for Worcester, Neil Wright, said, I'm immensely proud to see work getting underway in Worcester. This is the start of an exciting new chapter for the city as it gets ready to thrive in the digital age. I'm particularly looking forward to seeing how Worcester will use its new citywide infrastructure to help it achieve its carbon-neutral ambitions and make the city a greener, healthier and safer place for all. He continued, Once Worcester's digital infrastructure rollout is complete, it can fully reap the benefits of green innovations such as smart energy and waste management systems, which are all underpinned by full fibre connectivity. It's important to remember that any short-term disruption will pay off tremendously in the long term once the network's built. It will serve the community's connectivity needs for decades to come. City Fibre is working with Worcestershire County Council, Worcester City Council and local communities to deliver a fast rollout while minimising potential disruption. Councillor Alan Amos said, While this upgraded provision will bring many benefits, my main concern is to ensure minimum disruption on the roads and pavements by getting the construction work completely completed efficiently and on time without overruns and with high-quality reinstatement of all the surfaces. I have made it clear to City Fibre that we will be holding them to that. Councillor Mark Bayliss said, This is a a once-in-a-generation upgrade that will future-proof our network infrastructure at a time when connectivity has never been so important. Investment in full-fibre connectivity by operators like City Fibre supports improvements in both wider economic growth and quality of life and is absolutely critical to the success of the UK post-coronavirus. The overall project is expected to reach completion by early 2024. Um, We've now found a piece from Worcester Live, um, although there aren't any dates, but they have um, announced the first Worcester Fringe Festival which will take place across all the venue spaces, which includes the Swan Theatre, Swan Theatre Studios, Huntington Hall, at uh, a partner venue, the Royal Porcelain Works. 
who, along with the University of Worcester School of Arts, are supporting the exciting venture for the city. The last 15 months has been an exceptionally challenging time for the cultural industry, artists and venues, and we are hoping to offer the city the opportunity to embrace the arts through this new and exciting festival for both diverse and more traditional programming of theatre, comedy, film, early career artist work, dance, children's theatre, music and spoken word, alongside some exciting alternative events which we hope will appeal to all. We hope Worcester Fringe Festival will support the recovery of the arts in Worcester as we emerge from the pandemic. There will be free events across the programme, along with opportunities for local artists to take to the stage themselves. Covid-secure indoor and outdoor performances will allow people to access live entertainment in an environment that is right for them and most vitally allow people to share in the enjoyment of live performance once again. Eventually, we hope the Worcester Fringe Festival will become a much larger event with many more local venues who have stages or performance areas wanting to become involved. But for this year, we're hoping there will be a desire from the people of Worcester to support this new venture, to perhaps try something new and to celebrate live entertainment in the heart of the city. If you would like to be kept up to date with more information or see a copy of the new Worcester Live digital brochure, you can contact marketing at worcesterlive.co.uk. To be included in the newsletter posting. Uh, so that's exciting, although, as I say, no dates, although I do wonder whether it will run in parallel with the Three Choirs Festival in August. And that actually brings us to the end of this week's recording. So I need to thank engineer John Plush. Sitting in is Alex Gwynn and my fellow reader, Janet Goodwin. A reminder that after the final music, I will be reading the obituaries from the last week and also the thought for the week. So I'm going to sign off, Elizabeth Hill here, um, and hope you all have a good week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone who has a visual impairment and is unable to read a newspaper. We have the permission of the Worcester News and we're recording on Thursday the 10th of June 2021. I'm Elizabeth Hill and this week's team comprises engineer John Plush. Learning the ropes, we welcome Alex Gwynn. And at the table with me is Janet Goodwin. And it's lovely to see you, Janet, and welcome you back after um, you. this long break that we've uh, all had to endure. Uh, clerical work has been done by Carol Hartle and her team. And uh, copying will also be done by Carol. Um, the thought for the week is from Keir Aldis, for which we thank her. Music is by Sheila Joins. 
So may I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners. We hope you enjoy our offering. We will have the emergency telephone numbers. Um, what's on in the Malvern theatres, because we do have a brochure for them. The, uh, we'll open the birthday book and do tell us yours if we uh, don't already have it. And we'll have the last week's headline stories, sunrise and sunset times, followed by stories of interest from the past week. Obituaries and the thought for the day will be after the final music. The service is quite free to listeners. It is a registered charity. If, however, anyone does wish to make a donation, it will be very welcome and can be popped into your yellow wallet. And we do thank very warmly those of you who have made donations recently. We do love to hear from you. If you have any suggestions for improvement, add a message in your wallet or a message on the answer phone 01905 767766. I'm now going to um, give you the um, useful telephone numbers. So I've just given you ours here at Wilds Lane. Please be aware we are not here every day. So speak to the answer phone and leave a message and we will get back to you. Uh, for Worcester Live Theatres, that's the Swan Theatre and Huntington Hall, for which we don't have a brochure at the moment.